and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard at Pierre Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. I think, yeah, I think that's everything. Um, yeah, welcome back. Um, so this week uh, I managed to get Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies podcast back. Um, if you haven't heard Zach Reed on the show before, you you probably knew. In which case, thanks. I really appreciate you coming along to add to our seven uh, seven listener account. Really do. Actually, I've got that track somewhere. I should, I should probably look that up. Um, but anyway, uh, Zach Reed, like I said, from the Dynasty Dummies podcast from the DFPN network. Um, he's one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, I don't... I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, I have something like access to a lot of different people in our little thing that we do called Fantasy Football. Um, and I rarely ask new people. Every now and again, I'm like, I should try. And I line up a whole bunch of them, and I try and interview everyone. And some become videos on YouTube, and some become episodes of the podcast. Um, but it's relatively rare. Normally when I'm like, it's time that I had a conversation with someone else um, outside of myself uh, on the podcast. Sometimes it's just because it feels like that would be a good show or there was a particular subject I want to debate or talk about with someone else. And other times it's just, it's never good just to be in your own head. And I was trying to think of a way of introducing this as anything other than, hey, here's Zach, let's see, we, we talked about for an hour and a half. Um, I'll cut it down under an hour and a half. But um, And it happened... Now, it happened like 10 minutes ago. Um, My daughter found a Rubik's Cube. And I'm a nerd, so, you know, pretty pretty good bets. You're going to find a Rubik's Cube somewhere. Um, Full disclosure, I I solved a Rubik's Cube once and then threw it in a corner and promised myself I'd never try again. I was never good at it. This isn't a how I can solve Rubik's Cubes thing. I just, I wanted to be good at it. I wanted to be smart. And smart people can solve Rubik's Cubes, right? Obviously. So, uh, after trying forever and just getting the one side, the one side, the one side solved, um, and, you know, eventually reading a book, and that's how I eventually, you know, back when we watched read books instead of watch videos when we needed information, <laughs> um, and I eventually got it solved, but I never felt like I completed it because I didn't even understand half the stuff I was reading about how to do when different squares presented different ways i just i was just trying to running through the moves until it solved itself so why is this relevant well my daughter found a rubik's cube and she was like hey uh, i'm trying to fix this and i was like i really can't help you with that but here's the things that i know there you go good luck and she was like i'm never gonna get it and i was like you'd never know minds work differently so on and so forth but um Anyway, what else do you do these days? When I, you know, when I was her age, I turned to a book, and I was like, "What can we do right now?" I don't have that book anymore, so YouTube, right? So we searched it quickly and found um, a YouTube video how to solve the Rubik's cube, and I still have very little hope. Me and her are going to be able to fix the Rubik's cube. We, we, we're probably we're, it's not going to happen. But while he was introducing the cube, as it were. He was talking about how you have to see them essentially as individual cubes and not sides with the same color. And if you haven't, if you if you're like not a million years old like me and you don't know what a Rubik's cube is, like go watch the Pursuit of Happiness, I guess, or Google it. 
and and you'll see a, a, a what he was describing was instead of trying to get the stickers on the right side, try to get the cubes or the individual cubes within each face in the right place. And this was my aha moment because constantly while fooling with that damn cube, I I could feel I wasn't thinking about it right. I knew the center the centerpiece stayed the same, and I knew if you just focused on solving the one side, I could do that every time. And the problem was that I wasn't getting, you know, the top left blue sticker, for example, was on the blue face, but something in my head was telling me, well, maybe it's not meant to be the top left blue sticker, maybe it's meant to be the bottom right blue sticker. And that's really as far as I could... That's where my logic took me to, and I was like, there's something bugging me, and instead I read the book, followed the moves, and completed it that way. But in the first 30 seconds of the video, uh, this presenter from Wired, I think it was, if you want to watch the video, I don't know, Google, Google Rubik Solve, and it comes up, or YouTube it, um, he was talking about thinking about each individual cube in terms of the stickers on all of its sides, because only the centerpieces have one sticker on them. So if you think about the corner piece, it has three stickers on it, and that essentially tells you, like a three positional grid coordinates, exactly which corner of the cube it's meant to be on. Green has to be on the green side, blue has to be on the blue side, orange has to be on the orange side, whatever. I never pushed through to get to that logic. I could understand that the stickers had to be in the right place on the right face, and I knew the center square was a very particular square because it remained the same, but I never pushed it to the leap of logic to suggest that you could figure out, I couldn't figure out how to understand where each square was meant to be, just that that was the way to solve it. It's obvious, now I know, now he said it, just in my head, too scared to ask anyone because I wanted to be smart, couldn't make the leap of logic that because there's multiple stickers on each square, you can actually figure out where it's meant to be on the cube. It never came to fruition, and, except right there, then, sitting there with my daughter at the age of 30 meh, 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 something years old. This reminds me of Sudoku. Everyone knows the Sudoku puzzles, right? Yeah, trying to get one to nine in a line and within each square of a six-squared, two-dimensional written-down puzzle. Um, again, I was trying to complete them. I was doing all right, but I could tell there wasn't so, there was a leap of logic that I wasn't able to make to ha what's the solve, what's the secret to making these things work. And me and my friend, who's a lot smarter than me, um, in college, sat down. And we're trying to figure them out. And we never said anything, but we were racing. There was, a, there was a tension in the room where we both knew it was the first one to finish. And I desperately wanted to win because I already know he's smarter than me, which means I want to win. But he finished first, of course. And when he finished, what he said, which finally pushed my leap of logic to where it needed to be, was you have to stop trying to figure out what number goes in the square. You have to figure out what numbers can't go in the square. Now, if you've ever done Sudoku, you probably already know this, but I couldn't get there by myself. I needed my friend to go, hey, dude. But the way my friend thought got him over the edge on that one. And, and, and I'm not going to say I haven't done it myself. And I have. That's the thing. There are just some puzzles, some tricks, some solutions that your mind doesn't push you to. But someone thinking a slightly different way does. Why am I bringing this up? That's why I keep talking to Zach.
And that's why I keep talking to J Mike and Gay. You find people in your life who, through your, the way they think and the way you think, conversations with them or just hearing the way they describe things helps the penny drop in the hole. It was a dime, now it's a penny. See how I did that? Um, easier for you. And it's not necessarily they figure it out so much as hearing them explain it through their eyes, through their thought process, meshes well with your own. Now, I'm hoping mine, and that's why I guess I do fairly well in this little thing of ours that we do in terms of people enjoying my content, also feel that way about the way I think. It helps them push it over the edge for themselves. I don't think I solve anything for someone. I think hearing me or reading me talk about the way I approach the game helps the penny drop in the hole for them, and then they are able to do it much more so than I solve anything for someone else. I, I help. And also, I like talking to them. It's enjoyable. We're friends. I really enjoy our conversations, as I do with everyone that I bring on here. But something about the way Zach approaches and thinks about things helps the penny drop for me sometimes. And I'm hoping... That works for you too. So let me know. Let me know if there's someone else uh, you want me to invite on the podcast. And that's frustrating. It's frustrating to admit someone can approach the game through tape and get a lot of shit right. But he does. Um, But also just, I hope you enjoy the podcast. It is a really long one. Me and Zach tend to natter on for a while. We talked primarily about rookies. How we rank them. What we think of them. What we want to do. Who we want to buy. Who we want to sell. And at what value pretty much for this entire episode and pretty much for this entire class. So, yeah, rookie content, sophomore rookie content, I guess. Thank you for listening to The Crossroads. Really appreciate it. And, yeah, enjoy the interview. Um, and, you know, the whole the, the let Russ cook thing. Like, they, mm. haven't let, they haven't had Russell Wilson throw any more than he's no, ever he's... thrown before. But he's throwing in better situations than he's ever thrown before, which makes him more efficient. And and you have and you have two, uh, you know, incredibly high elite caliber wide receivers, and so you add those three things, and all of a sudden you've got a casserole that is nice. I would say he's throwing about nine percent in the passing percentage versus rushing percentage. It's like nine percent higher than last year. Yep. But I agree, it's not been this explosion of volume. He's still the team is still maintaining, and he well, let's face it, Russell Wilson is still just being hyper-efficient. I mean, that's, that's what's going on. That's why everyone can catch a touchdown and no one can get a target share that's within the realms of consistent because <laughs> it has to ping-pong back and forth when you've got such low volume. But, I mean, I mean, they are passing more a little bit, but I agree with you. Yeah, well, and, and again, like, I think that that, that more is coming from and and. An... I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back because I saw you just went live and 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 shout out That's Ben Baldwin case. again. Well, yeah. no, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out Ben Baldwin again and and it's rbsdm.com where he's charting those percentages. And if you look at uh, Seattle this year and and where they're throwing and 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 the the chance of them throwing is much much over expected this year on everything except for like second down and short uh but yeah. like every other every other um kind of scenario that they could choose between run or pass 
they're passing over the expected percentage, you know, over normal. And I think that you're seeing a lot of really sharp teams do that. And so, like, you have, again, there, there are a bunch of factors. It's never going to be one thing, which which sucks because if you're doing – I mean, if you're doing numbers uh, like yourself or if you're doing trying to be predictive, the more variables you have, the more you just throw your hands up and go, fuck. Like, you, you just can't – you can't account for everything. But part of this is they're being smarter about throwing more often and throwing in situations that are obvious run situations. Because if they're obvious run situations and you throw, then the defense is kind of back on their heels and and you have a chance to be more efficient. (laughs) Passing is... You know, people have been harping on that for years, that, that throwing the ball is more efficient than, than running. Right. And, and so if you have a combination of a, a, an elite quarterback or even a good quarterback, I mean, you look at guys like uh, Kyler Murray, like what they did with Dak Prescott, um, I think you're going to see that with, with guys like Joe Burrow and Tua and, you know, the, the players who come in who are uh, above average quarterbacks, you put them in an offense where uh, a coaching staff is willing to let them throw and put them in a position where they can succeed, where where you're surrounding them with talented receivers and you have what we're seeing with the NFL. And, and the other part of it is, man, it, we just had really – everybody's been old for a long time. And I do – like <laughs> – no, like like all of the quarterbacks. Think about all of the quarterbacks that we've that we've been for the last four or five years. It's been like Brady and Breeze and Manning and you know that kind of Philip Rivers and the old guard has been kind of cycling out. And now you've got all of these young, exciting, mobile quarterbacks who on a on a third down and five, instead of handing the ball to Carlos Hyde and hoping, they're sitting there saying, Okay, well, you can make a decision whether or not you're going to throw the ball and gain that first down or because they're mobile enough, there's always that option. So, so a pass can, can be a run now. And so we've got a whole bunch of a myriad of things working in the favor of offense and, and especially receivers. I think there's there's always too much going on to separate any one thing until five years later and everyone, you know, obviously what was going on especially when you've got pandemic and players dropping on and off the roster so frequently. Um, but yeah, I think we can largely ignore all of that. I do think it's an interesting conversation <laughs> or it's an interesting element, especially with rookies. They're getting, I think they're getting the soft landing here, which is great. Um, yeah. And the danger is getting sucked up in what's happening now to not see what the counter reaction that is. Cause what, no matter what the nature of the change is, and um, we know that, Offenses shift and defenses shift to adjust. Defense right. comes second. And I do think, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it may, it may be checking out my podcast anymore because I've been mentioning the shift of young quarterbacks, especially young wide receivers, and maybe the running back class is the young class soon to come uh, to revitalize it because we had a boom on it and everyone projected it to last forever and running backs <laughs> were back. This is like the worst year to ever project robust running back and no one believe me but there we go and (laughs) but the the trick is especially in i guess yeah i'm dynasty slanted uh, uh, and you're dynasty dummies so i guess that works 
Um, what happens as a reaction to that is defenses catch up and you uh, hopefully, for the love of God, please, we eliminate some of the variants with this pandemic by the next season. <laughs> and so that isn't working in anyone's anti-favor or favor either. So there, there is obviously defenses are going to adjust to this. And I know uh, just thinking that way, does that, do we expect a downturn next year? I, I mean, I don't know if it's next year. Because I don't know if you can adjust that fast because part of it is personnel. I mean, part of the defensive adjustment is because uh, teams are trending toward mobile quarterbacks, because teams are trending toward that run pass option, because teams are trending toward uh, utilizing slot receivers and, and that sort of thing, your defenses have kind of gotten – bigger i mean think about the the seattle defense of like four or five years ago and that was kind of the the vanguard of defenses reacting to the the patriots two tight end set and they you know they had uh bobby wagner and they, like they had a whole bunch of like big strong almost almost uh linebackers playing safety mm -hmm. and and so you had that shift in the nfl and so the the reaction to that offensively is you've got to get faster you've got to get more mobile you've got to be able to create matchup uh problems in the slot and so you're seeing that and so now i think it's a matter of it's going to take a few draft classes for defenses to get smaller get quicker be able to counteract these players so i think you're going to see again another couple of years anyway of that that Tyler Boyd, Calvin Ridley, that arch type, uh, even Tyler Lockett, who's who's the guy who shifted inside and creates matchup problems out of the slot. Justin Jefferson is doing that this year uh, in in uh, Minnesota. You're going to see at least a couple more years of that before defenses can. You know, it, it's almost like rebuilding your dynasty team. Like you don't you don't change your team in a year. You should. Um, and also, <laughs> defenses, defenses can shift quicker than that, though. I appreciate the example, but what about the run-pass option, Colin Kaepernick, and the whole rushing quarterback phase, which is literally adjusted to the very next year? I mean, if it's simple enough that we can read slot usage mismatches in the slot, then surely defenses can also go, okay, well, we can adjust to that pretty quickly by shifting our personnel again to smaller, lighter, faster guys as well and, and eliminating those mismatches. Right, but you have to have the smaller, lighter, faster guys in the league and and up to speed. So so it, it takes a little bit of time. And, and I think, I mean, Kaepernick was a little bit of a different style of quarterback and yes he was run pass option but and i don't I, yeah but but i think i think he's closer to and i hate to say this because i really like lamar jackson but you're seeing teams be able to account for lamar jackson this year because he is not as prolific as a passer as some of these other uh quarterbacks and i think that that's I, I spoke about this this week on on the, the Trade Addict show, and what I said was the, the quarterback archetype that I'm looking for is the guy who is really, really uh, accurate and efficient early in his career, but is mobile enough to be able to extend plays and create with his legs. So not not somebody whose primary avenue is running. So that was the Kaepernick. That's the Lamar Jackson 
Um, it, it, I thought, was going to be uh, Josh Allen, although apparently he's leading the NFL in passing yards. So maybe, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah. But but I think that, you know, I, I think that, that there is a, a difference between what Kaepernick, what Lamar Jackson did and do. And, and that's easier. It's easier to account for if, if he, if a guy can't really beat you with his arm, right? It's easier to say, okay, well, we're going to, you know, spy or we're going to uh, sit back and contain and, and not let you run and, make you beat us with your arm as opposed to somebody like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott, you know, or that new, I think you're going to see Joe Burrow be that kind of player where he can, he's pretty mobile. I think you'll see Justin Herbert be that kind of player where he's pretty mobile, but, but accurate enough to be able to game manage, to be able to say, okay, it's third and seven. We need to get. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's not hype up next year's class. Cause you know, that's, <laughs> Can we just enjoy the one we have that's actually finally good? We got a good class. Yes. Not in the way we predicted, but good. Um, having said that, um, how do you rank these rookie wide receivers, man? Oh, my goodness. Uh, how many Saquon Barkley's for Justin Jefferson? Let's, let's use our new measure. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so I, I still and, – and maybe I'm – Maybe I'm too stubborn uh, right now. Maybe I'm too stuck in my ways, but I still think that it's CeeDee Lamb at the top of this class and Justin Jefferson as, as my two. Uh, I can't – I can't – I really can't see a way – and, it, like, to me, this is a huge buy window for, for Lamb because you're, he's, mm. he's got absolutely – dog food at quarterback and he will for the rest of the year i think the point largely i would make about trading these guys is in dynasty if you're trading wide receivers it's to get running backs and a lesser wide receiver that's a move it's never to get a better wide receiver that always seems backwards to me um but anyway i see a pretty clear um I haven't decided on my method of judging rookie years yet, but Jefferson Lamb and uh, Higgins actually, I I can't separate them. And again, the thing with statistics, we too often think of it as linear. This guy's doing the best in the best stats, therefore he will continue to do the best when I don't think it really works out that way. Justin Jefferson leads most categories, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have the best career. Right. And, and when you look within a, a range, reasonable range of having a phenomenal rookie year, T. Higgins and C.D. Lamb are kind of right there. I don't think I can yeah. foresee worse careers for them based on what they're doing. And the guy that's in that tier that I think people still might not like really recognize, T. Higgins is having as good a rookie year as Lamb and Jefferson. Like, yeah. that's sorry, that's where we're at. I'm sorry, 30% breakout threshold truth is like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you as much as I could, but Higgins is in that tier in his rookie year. Um, and I don't know, I don't honestly don't know of a way to separate out who therefore will have the better career going forward. But again, if I'm looking to trade them, I'm probably not this year because no. if I'm trading them this year, then I'm not winning this year. <laughs> The only wide receiver to wide receiver trade I can see with this class right now would be again this year move, and that's trying to get Devontae Adams. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's the only thing I could like. He's my dynasty wide receiver one this year um, now, uh, and 
like that's the only guy I'd really go out and try and trade him for. But even then, you'd be looking for a plus, perhaps, to maintain that value because his value's going to decrease in Dynasty because of age, even though he's better. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's what that is. And the guy that I'm really messed up on is Chase Claypool. I, I, I'm trying to stop my college profile bias because I have a strong one. Of just saying, oh, look, Kelvin Benjamin 2020. Like, I'm trying not to do that because he doesn't look like Kelvin Benjamin. And he's been very, this isn't a phenomenal rookie year. It's, I mean, you could almost get him in that first tier for me across Muslim metrics I'm looking at. But I don't, I, I, I don't believe it. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. It feels, it feels like a trap. It, it, it does. But I think at some point you just got to, bite the bullet on him and and believe and and look the nine touchdowns two rushing touchdowns that that's the uh, kind of a red flag to anybody who follows uh numbers because those are not predictive those don't carry over season to season there's a lot of variance in touchdowns i mm -hmm. completely agree but the way they're using claypool and the way they're getting him touches not just in the passing game but he's effectively been a, 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 a running back that they use at the goal line mm -hmm. like I, they're trying to get him the ball and he's incredibly athletic I mean I think the for me when I watched him at, at Notre Dame I thought he was a tight end he was he was a much better uh, tight end type than Cole Komet who was you know lauded as the prospect out of there and i obviously it was wrong and the other knock about him coming out was that he didn't have much of a work ethic apparently that's changed apparently he he got to a point where you know his his meals depended on whether or not he had a work ethic in the nfl and he's apparently <laughs> you know he's he's decided that but but as far as being America. an athlete like he's incredible he's he's what six five or six six like he's a huge uh most player johnson like <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what yeah. i said before no i, I know absolutely tranced his uh production profile so i got him definitely wrong but i did say it was calvin johnson like <laughs> well, you were you were way closer than i was because i said he was a tight end and I, I was hoping he was going to be a very good one Hey man, I also put him in the tight end pool just in case, <laughs> yeah. just to see where his numbers landed. So yeah, I don't, I, I didn't, I really hated his production because he played pretty much three years past the game threshold and kind of sucked in all but one of them. I thought, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I thought he sucked. Um, it, it, it's as honest as I can be. Um, so yeah, I don't know what to make a clay pool. So I'm just standing there, standing off. If he's the best walking wide receiver going forward from here, then power to you. I can't do it. I can't. No, I just don't believe it. Um, that puts you know, the, the guys I actually like the best for value or the wide receiver I thought um, was in that top tier as the buy windows, I guess, which is Rago and Mims. And um, I still I obviously still have interest in Hamler um mooney maybe but yeah it, and brian edwards so it's really mims and rago that are the top value players like i'm trying to invest in right now because they're having a solid rookie season that's not showing up for as many people right. um but all of this just sounds like buy all rookie wide receivers and that's kind of where i'm at well and <laughs> I, I, where think, I'm at. 
<laughs> yeah, and I, I think that the 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 issue that I'm having this year is that's normally my play. Normally my play is draft the running backs, trade for the young wide receivers in hopes that they don't like supersede a breakout mm. in their in their rookie year. But Lamb, uh Jefferson, Claypool, and Higgins have already done that. Like you can't you can't trade for them and get any value back. So so you do have to look at the the tier with with Mims. I like Pittman and and I know you didn't love him coming out as much mm-hmm. as I did, but he was he was a player I really liked. I I still think that Jerry Judy may be the the steal of the second half of this year in terms of rookie class. And that's because- what I'm kind of looking at. Who's do, still doing well? But and, and I was looking at Judy. I was like, it'd be real easy to switch over, but I'm still staying in neutral on Judy. <laughs> I'm like, mm, well, just feels and, too cheap. And, um, and you know, you but know yeah, how- he's in that category if you like him, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know how we've talked about, you know, finding the player who is opposite a number one but still can produce – somewhere in that level that quasi number one level i think jerry judy fits that profile and his number one has been injured the whole year yeah i think the two the guys in that category for me and judy's a really good i can't argue against it he's having just a solid rookie year he's had highlights if judy was your guy or a guy you had like really a lot of interest like he fits in there but mine was mims and um rager and i'm still there on them so those are the two i plow hard and as for lesser value, I get the Pittman thing. Like someone asked me about him on stream the other day, and it's like, well, when he plays, he's getting a twenty percent target share. I can't really poo-poo him yet. I need to see more. It's like I can't tell you John Ross was bad. I just always thought he was gonna be, and then never got really on the field. And <laughs> um, so I don't know, but and um, we'll see how that works out. But the guy in that category for me, for like low value but high, but um, high, a lot of interest in buying is still. Um, Brian Edwards, because everyone seems to have yes. forgotten about him. Everyone inflated yes. his value way too high after we liked him. And now everyone's like, Brian, who? Like, so he's the guy in that Pittman category for me. I'd be I'd be pummeling people with offers of seconds <laughs> to maybe give me uh, Brian Edwards um towards this second half, like you said, or towards his offseason. Like, um, I, I still think yeah. that's the guy I'd want. Framing this as 2014, whatever, let's just do it. This is a new 2014 class. <laughs> Arguing over which of these rookie wide receivers was going to be the one you wanted was just, I mean, that wasn't the argument, right? You could buy Evans, you, you could buy Odell, and, yeah. you can, and people will. They argue with me all the time about which turned out to be better. It was not Mike Evans. I don't care what you say. <laughs> but if you wanted to do well in dynasty with that, it was to buy the ones that were cheaper <laughs> and then sell them. The purpose of having them is that you can, they're going to be good or better than their value currently is. And you can use that to win seasons. That's the purpose of right. value in dynasty. So I want these guys so that when their value gets to where I think it's a peak, I can trade them for those running backs or I can trade them for the future picks or I can do whatever with them. So it's not really even a conversation right now for me of which I think will have the better career. It's which I think is in that category that isn't being valued there, which is why T. Higgins is interesting, even though everyone knows or should know he's doing as well as the other two. I think his value is a little lower and it shouldn't be. It's why Mims and Rago are in that second category for me. It's why Brian Edwards is in that third category for me. Uh, Because I don't think the value has reached what I think their peak value will be 
and I think they have a good chance of hitting it. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw a you know, crossroads PSA out there. We don't want these guys to win. We want these guys. It's, it's all kind of value moves. Dynasty gets right. boring when you start seeing it that way. But um, <laughs> I think it's hard to project most of these guys to have bad seasons, which is, like again, looking back at 2014, you could argue to your blue in your face to want that one of them was going to be better. But the truth was all of them were good to different degrees based on, you know, their individual context of seasons and injuries. Um, and that's kind of where I think you should approach this class. A guy that um, I'm kind of out on right now, I haven't, again, it's that sample thing. He's only really played, I mean, he's listed as having played eight games, but I really only think he's played two or three that are fair to judge him on. Um, Brandon Ayuk, like yeah. he's actually, and again, a guy I was not high on. This is, you know, no, if this guy continues, I was wrong. To be very clear and honest and transparent <laughs> and all that shit. Um, but he's got like one yard per team pass attempt, depending when, well, no matter how you want to measure that. He's got a 21% target share through this season, which is actually pretty impressive considering how much I just said he hadn't really been a feature in most games. He's got like 13 expected points per game, which again is more than Judy. It's more than CD Lamb. So uh, like he's actually having, through the few games he's played, pretty strong. So... I can't remember where you were at on him. Were you high on him, low on him? And his nah. college profile was kind of one good, one bad year. So, yeah, I wasn't I as down on him as I was confident in my down on Claypool take. But I was kind of, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't trust San Francisco at all. I don't, not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Screw well, that team. <laughs> and I, I think it's it's really hard. Like, I wasn't high on Ayuk at all coming in. But some people that I pay attention to, uh, Pete Davidson, for one, uh, who is does the Rotobon pod, he like he was big into Ayuk, and and he's somebody that I kind of, if if he says a guy is pretty good, then I take note and and go back and watch. But the, this season has been a really tough evaluation anyway because of the shambles that San Francisco has been in as a as a team. I mean, <laughs> Garoppolo has been hurt. Uh, their entire running back core has been hurt. Kittle is out. Their receiving core has been decimated. So I don't like. I don't know how to get a good read on him. Uh, he's done more post catch than I anticipated him doing. I guess, but I, it's it's hard to. I mean, he he all of a sudden is is playing a lot more like I thought Lavisca Chenault would play, and a lot less like I thought. Brendan Ayuk would play opportunity for you then I guess that's the question we're asking like how does he have to be a second round pick or a late first round pick before you trade for Brendan Ayuk uh I I I would not give up a first for him um going the complete opposite end I'm, I'm still willing to throw I, I try to add Tyler Johnson to the back of any trade yes. <laughs> I, yep. I can um because, again, every time he plays, everyone's like, this guy was amazing. I have no idea where he went in the sixth round. <laughs> and all I feel is like, where were you, man? I was out here <laughs> literally asking if he was a nut puncher or something, and I could get no one to come with me. And that, but, yeah, Tyler Johnson, I mean, he's been great. I don't know what happens to ha has to happen in Tampa Bay for the number of backed up good wide receivers they got at value to finally get opportunity. But <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh, give me Tyler Johnson. And um, a guy that 
I thought would be in that category. Antonio Golden Gandhi, like given the dumpster fire that is Washington. And if you're not clear, I know we've got good fantasy points from him recently. Washington is just <laughs> awful. Okay. It's just awful. But, and again, given his draft round, given the conference he came from, I'm not surprised he's operating at 2% target share. I still like him. His rookie year can't make me like him less. But like, unlike Tyler Johnson, who's actually shown up when he got on the field, he came from a better conference who should have had more draft capital. And it's a slightly different situation. So, um, yeah, I still kind of like Antonio Gandhi as one of those deep, hey, if people start forgetting why they put him on the back of their roster syndrome wide receivers, I still kind of like that guy. Yeah, and and if people ditch him because he's been injured, he he uh, tweaked his hamstring, and right. so like it, that's one of those things where depending on your league, depending on how long your bench is, depending on uh, you know how fidgety your league mates get, whether they can they can sit there and read an entire book, or if they need you know the the Cliff's Notes excerpt and just need to get Gandy Golden already because it's been eight weeks and he hasn't done anything. Then yeah, he's he's definitely an ad at the at the back end of this, and and even like Gabriel Davis in in Buffalo, like I don't mind adding him to the end of deals either. And I like I know it hasn't been beautiful, but yeah. that, look, that offense yeah. is throwing the ball a ton. <laughs> I I really yeah. think I really think that that's a that's a place where. There is some room for him to grow, and he's actually had a little bit of a role this year. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't look twice at a trade offer with a minute. <laughs> but again, that's a, when you get to that level of value, it's all just about a my guy philosophy, which isn't right. the best. And it's worth noting he's been, I mean, he's been more Tyler Johnson. Well, he's been better than Tyler Johnson in terms of volume and production. Um, for this year, so yeah, I get it. It's just, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> go, go get the new Kiki Kute or you know whoever the fuck he's going to be. Um, I just don't <laughs> think he's got it. But I get that wrong plenty. So, um, like we did. A, I think you're in that one. Like I, I tried to do a mock redo of the rookie class, and no one would adjust for 2020 at all. Can I? Can I? At least get a James Robinson isn't 112 if we redrafted this rookie class from from you now like that's a little low yeah I mean yeah I would say he's probably what seven or eight he's a one one no come on he's I mean no I can't go well, that all right all right, but, right, right. But, uh, like, Jonathan I, Taylor but with with James Robinson's rookie season what is he yeah, but he's Jonathan Taylor's the one on one anyway. Okay, but, Swift. But, so, okay, so we, Dobbins. Okay, anyone with so, draft but, yeah, but, but No, no, no. Listen, 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 listen. Would you go back in, in the rookie class that Philip Lindsay was in and put him at 101 knowing what you know now? Because this Philip is Philip Lindsay. Lindsay. Have, no, yes, he, he did. Jen Robinson was a yes, top he did. five running back. Philip Lindsay was never a yes, top five was. running back. He, he came out and dominated that first year. He wasn't and then are you he was pretty close, Peter. Uh, he was in the top ten. Let me find that. Come on now. <laughs> Let me find pretty that. Sure. Putting him at 101 because he had opportunity. I mean, that's fine, but yeah, I don't know. What Jonathan Taylor's what RB15 right now? 
He's somewhere right around there. He might be a little lower than that, but he's, I he's have top him as 24. 18, but, yeah, he's, know, he's top whatever. 24. Like, yeah, again, that's a great rookie season if if you're not expecting him to be, you know, Saquon Barkley or whatever. Well, and but I think that people expecting him to be Saquon Barkley. I don't uh, think anyone are, was. I could get no one to say that. I well, tried and, like the Dickens as well. That's a bit that, of a straw man. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I, I think that, that you saw this running back class as a strong running back class, which I think it is. But hmm. you don't have the – there are very, very few – running backs that have the skill set that Saquon Barkley, that Alvin Kamara, that James Christian McCaffrey have James Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James <laughs> Robinson. Um you know I, I just I don't think that there are very many running backs that have that skill set. And look, I like James Robinson on on film. My question was is James Robinson going to get a chance because I don't believe that he's going to get a look being from a small school as mm. soon as there were rumblings about uh, Jacksonville shipping Fournette, it was all aboard the James Robinson train. I mean, if, if you listen to, to my show, Oh no, I know you were on him. I'm not, I wasn't, but, I didn't even know what, who his yeah, name was. I'm and, not saying and, I get it right at all. No, no, no. But, but, but like you, you, you have to, you have to kind of figure context with running backs especially and and i know that that you're on board with this like volume is king and uh two years ago when you and i had, were on this podcast and we were talking before the scott fishbowl and i said that leonard fournette was going to be a running back one and and you could get him in the fourth round of the scott fishbowl and then leonard fournette came out and had 100 targets it was because there was nobody in that backfield and i think you're seeing the same thing with james robinson but if he had a pass catcher in that backfield, I don't think you're getting the same production out of him that you are right now. And and do I think they're going to go out and draft a running back in the first two rounds to raise him? No, because why would you? Do I think that they're going to take a shot in the fourth or fifth at, at a guy who can catch the ball that you might be able to pair with him? Of course they are. And if that happens, then – James Robinson is fine, but he's another one of these committee backs like every other committee back. Yeah, and we measure running backs by opportunity at the end of the day. It's a really fair way of deciding who's better or worse. And look, that doesn't help out someone like Alvin Kamara, who we know is one of the top three running backs in the league for fantasy and stuff like that. So making all the adjustments is just at some point this is about the player. Yeah. Um, uh, that opportunity share metric I mentioned, that's, that's, um, it's actually something, uh, Spaceman. Um, Dave Wilson is calculating, Dave Wright, and yeah. right, Dave Wright sorry, um, calculating and running, writing an article for DLF every week about opportunity share. And that's the percentage of the team attempts and targets, only running back targets, though, and, and removing quarterback rushing attempts as well, really to measure. So do I think James Robinson has the highest opportunity share in the NFL right now because he's the best running back in the – no, because I make adjustments. I know Alvin Kamara is better. I know if Saquon Barkley was back on the field, he's a better player. Um, uh, even Dalvin Cook, who is like 20% below James Robinson. So some of that is the situation. But David Montgomery doesn't have much of an opportunity suck. You know, there's not there's right. not a great – talent of Naheem Hines sucking up a significant <laughs> uh, opportunity behind him or Daryl Henderson uh, continuously cooking that backfield <laughs> and so on and so forth. These are decent players. 
Um, but I don't think we, I think we can look at the um, backfields of David Montgomery or even frankly David Johnson. I know we all love Duke Johnson, but he's continually continuously proven to be the bottom of our expectations for him and unable to push anyone out of the way, let alone David Johnson. Um, but <laughs> yeah, his eighty percent opportunity share. It is fair to adjust that in your head mentally to some degree because of the lack of competition. But if we compare him to someone like David Montgomery, who's getting a 68% opportunity share versus an 80% opportunity share, or other backfields where there's a very dominant running back with very little competition, some of this is about the player. Some of this is about yeah. James Robin, which you told us about before anyone else, and so on and so forth. It's worth noting that even guaranteed a top five season, no one will go in on a top five pick for this, like that, like winning a season kind of numbers in a year where running back is kind of desolate outside the top three or five as well. So it's an even stronger advantage than usual. Like, I know, I know, dude. I, it just strikes me that no so one's like eh. the the guy that is on my radar that has been pretty good this year. I think he's a top twenty four wide receiver, but he's uh because of the expectations and it's it's juju juju smith schuster mm -hmm. and i know you were kind of looking for a guy like a little lower down in that range but no i'm i'm on the same page with juju and but Carry yeah on, like I, I i've been following so uh izzy alcafez uh over that trade calculator has been every week running a poll and he's been putting the three pittsburgh wide receivers so he's been putting deontay johnson juju smith schuster and chase mm -hmm. claypool in a poll and it's been something like seven out of the 10 weeks, one of either Deontay Johnson or Claypool has been the one and not Juju. This week it was 46% to Deontay Johnson and, and, and Juju Smith-Schuster is like 24 or something like that. Like if people are willing to part with Juju Smith-Schuster, go get him. Because he's still 23, 24. He's put up an incredible season. This year, he is not as bad as you think he is. He just hasn't been Juju Smith-Schuster wide receiver one. And Pittsburgh may end up shipping him. No, I'm, I entirely agree with that. I don't care if they shift him. No, um, I've been saying like he was top twelve for me rookie wide receivers and starts. I might have even had him top five just so to really underline how fucking crushed my ranks did in that <laughs> in that region. But I've been real consistent. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I've been real consistent in my target share article, my live streams. Like I'm willing to have the conversation about Chase Claypool. He's having a phenomenal rookie season. We already did that. Deontay Johnson too. Like I'm willing to have the, like. Okay, I was definitely a little low on both of them. Fine. I am still utterly convinced and can, you know, to, to as much as we can prove anything. Juju is the best wide receiver on this team. Let me just get to the conclusion here. Yeah. Like, it's still night and day if you want to measure how good they are in the roles they're given. And this isn't just how well he was in his rookie season and look how young. This year, and, I th and the reason he was... I wasn't thinking about mentioning him is because I thought over the last few weeks, people would have figured that out. But if still not, no. Juju is, for me, very clearly the best wide receiver on this team and one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Like, I know, a quick measure we can look at. Right now, he's got a 0.91 yards per team pass attempt in the way that I'm calculating it. 
What does that mean? It means it's very good. But here's the thing. Chase Claypool also has almost the exact same yards per team pass attempt. But Chase Claypool is operating an ADA of 12.7, which means he's getting yes, given down 12 yards yeah. every time. Juju is doing it on an ADA of 6. And just in case it's not clear, I'm not shouting at Zach at this point. He's just proven <laughs> he knows this. If in your head there was any doubt that Juju is a wide receiver you want more than anything on this team or, you know, in this value range or whatever, he's doing it. He's doing as good as Chase Claypool is for the team while being given half as much of his yards by the team. He is not out just outperforming his A dot, he's outperforming every wide receiver in terms of expected point or expected yards based on what he's actually been given in terms of his ADOT. Like, he is phenomenal. Like, <laughs> I don't know of another wide receiver with this level of target share and that kind of ADOT who has, doesn't have some other ancillary reason. This is just what he's been doing all season. He is amazing. <laughs> now, that yeah. doesn't, as we're seeing this year, doesn't always translate into the best fantasy points. But in terms of how good they are, as fair a measure as it can come up, like, Juju's doing something almost no wide receiver can do. Chase Claypool is doing something, you know, very few wide receivers can do in their rookie season. The comparison is, like, non-existent. <laughs> and same with Deontay Johnson. And, and the other guy in that pool, just in case, over the last few games, I thought people would have gone, oh, yeah, okay, it's still good, but maybe not. In that category, DJ Moore as well, if we're going for this, yeah. that level of wide receiver. Like, if you were not aware... DJ Moore is the best wide receiver on that team, too. Um, all right. Here's a player I'm probably way too high on. Um, Travis Fulgram, he's wide receiver 49 right now, which just seems disrespectful. Corey Davis at 50, but let's stick on Travis Fulgram. And, and you, <laughs> you watch these games. Is Travis Fulgram just accidentally getting fantasy points and target share? Is that the idea? I mean, I I know that I know that uh, vacated targets aren't a thing, but like <laughs> when when it when a team doesn't have any wide receivers and their two tight ends are both hurt, and their running back who catches passes is hurt, it leads to Travis Fulgham and uh, Boston Scott being fantasy producers. I mean, like that's literally what's going on in Philadelphia. Although Miles Sanders is back now, but it, it's 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 been Fulgham, it's been Boston Scott. If you believe in Jalen Rager, which I do, I think that Fulgham is pretty aptly ranked. Um, yeah, I don't think you get to this level of opportunity just because there's no one else at wide receiver. I mean, we saw that before Fulgham was healthy and got on the field. Like, J.J. <laughs> the Sega Whiteside didn't really come through oh. for us before that. And, you know, Terry McClellan is rightly elevated because in a bad situation, he's sucking up an immense 50% of the team's receiving production. That's what Terry McClellan's doing. Right. Travis Fulgham does have decent competition with Jalen Rager on the field now, and he's still sucking up 37% of the team's receiving work. I don't think he get there just because there's no one else. <laughs> That's just me. And, you know, Dallas Goddard has been on the field for some of the season, and now he's I mean, back. Like, I, I think this place of targets could go... Other than Travis Fulgram, if this wasn't something to do with the player, but that's that's me. I'm weird. I don't. I, mean, like, I don't dislike low drafted players. He's fine. I, like I don't. I don't dislike him. But like it's yeah, it's dude. a low drafted. It's a low drafted player who didn't stick on another roster who happened to be like 
in case of emergency break glass and has been fine, but like he's whatever, he's fine. <laughs> that's, 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 almost, that's always my my response to Kyle when like I completely disagree with one of his player evaluations. I'm like, fine. Yeah, he's, he's but, fine. All right, like he's there, he's wide receiver thirty nine on the season, getting all of that target share in Philadelphia. Yeah, but he's getting that target share because he's doing well on it. <laughs> no, but, like what? I, but I'm saying, like, but he's put up as wide receiver thirty nine. So like, if he's getting all of the target share in Philadelphia and he's still uh, behind. Uh, Jerry Judy and Devonte Parker in in par- producing this year, like he's fine, like whatever. Like he he's two spots ahead of Tim Patrick, like he's fine. Yeah, but he's got like four touchdowns, and if you're going to lay his opportunity at the floor of the bad offense, you can't not lay some of the production that he's missing. Not at the floor of the bad offense. I mean, there are 10 wide receivers writing more yards per team pass attempt than Travis Fulgram. That's it. The list of 10 players. In terms of how well he's doing for that team on that opportunity, in all situations, Travis Fulgram is outstripping all but 10 players. Now, the guy above him is on Robbie Anderson, who also apparently can't <laughs> catch touchdowns. But yeah, there's opportunity because the team doesn't have a lot apparently because Dallas got it. It's bad now, and uh, you know. No, he's but he's been hurt. He broke his thumb at whatever, the beginning of the whatever. year. <laughs> whatever. Um, and, and Zach Ertz was on the team, <laughs> so I mean, the, there has been overlap between other players who could suck up a target share the same way it could and does happen in other offenses. They just don't suck up this much. And on the targets he's getting, despite the fantasy points not showing up, he's actually doing very well with them. That's what I'm saying. It's not that he's wide receiver 39 because he's not doing much with them. He's doing a lot with the targets he's getting. The team is just kind of shitty, as you mentioned, and he's got four touchdowns. And the opportunity he's getting is on a weaker team that goes to the value but out of field less. And I don't know, where's the team in pass attempts overall? I imagine, uh, I don't know what I imagine with... Stop hating undrafted free agents. He's, he's fine. No, I like undrafted free agents. <laughs> no, just, just the good one. I know just what fine ones. means. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I hide behind fine. <laughs> uh, that's fun. That <laughs> <laughs> should be the name of the the name of the show. Is Travis Fulgham is fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no.
repeating no more. It's a place where analytical.